Hallelujah. Welcome, church family. Welcome, Bayside family. So good to be here tonight with you. Thank you for opening your homes and being with us here tonight. Good to have Pastor Al Soto from Bayside with me tonight. Welcome, good, Pastor. Good to be here, Don. It's this great, great opportunity. Thank yeah. you for the invitation. It's going to be a fun time tonight. Yeah. Praise God. Amen. So uh, we're excited to be able to spend this evening with you and thankful that you would open your home and allow us uh, into your home with you. So we have some fun things to talk about tonight. And uh, so looking forward to what the Lord has for us. And again, we just want to say thank you. I know on behalf of Pastor Al and Bayside Church and our church family here, we're so thankful for the continued love and support that the church has been giving in the way of standing with the church, financially supporting the church, supporting the ministries, helping us continue to do what we do as a church here in our county and around the world through supporting our missionaries. So thank you everyone so much for your faithful giving and support and uh, everything that you do to help the church continue to be the church through this season. And we're excited. Looks like we're turning the corner in a lot of ways on this thing. Praise the Lord. Our county's opening up a little Amen. bit and... Uh, Good things are on the horizon. Our gym's in its second week of being open. Awesome. And uh, that's going well, so we're excited with that. And so, praise the Lord. Amen. Anything good happen there at Bayside? And right now well, we're just, uh, you know, like you, Don, really excited to see re-engagement. Uh, a lot of business owners that in this last season, as you mm -hmm. all know, have been struggling and suffering. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's good. The other day, I think it was last Friday, Valerie and I were going down Main Street and it was the first time that, that like a cloud lifted mm -hmm. just to see people, to see business owners yeah. opening their businesses um, was just a breath of fresh yeah. air. We got to have lunch together last week. We got to have at the Waffle House. Yeah, we got to have a meal. And that was even foreign, right? Yeah. Uh, so long not being in a restaurant, you yeah. know. Awesome. Um, but uh, no, just, you know, I, I think first I want to say this, Don. I'm the newbie here to our region. I've been here now, uh, May 16th is four years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just really want to applaud uh, a lot of the leaders like yourself who've been here for many, many years, who I think... Uh, I've only been here five years. So. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you be, but, you know, it's, it's men like yourself. I'm thinking of David Cook, um, uh, Steve Barr. You, you mm -hmm. guys have been here. You, you've... you've uh, established a foundation and uh and it's really neat to be in a place that has the quality of christian leaders that we do in our region and i don't know if people are really aware of that mm -hmm. we have some real quality mm -hmm. uh people that lead our churches here and serve our yeah, churches you have a lot of longevity in the ministry here and uh, jim wells is uh has been at uh, New Hope there in Shingle Springs. Jim and I have been dear friends for over 36 years now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's and, been here almost. Yeah, he's been here 32 years. Exactly. Now, so great, 30, great 33 guy. Years. Yeah, Matter of fact, to catch you a little up a little bit, my mom, when she was with Pastor Jack in L.A., facilitated mm -hmm. Jim's wedding. Wow. That's awesome. And the only, the only negative thing I have to say about Jim is that he's a Green Bay Packers fan, which I can't <laughs> quite understand. But yeah, great comes, people. When it comes to sport, not everybody's super intelligent. So. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let's pray. And uh, again, we want to thank you. And we're so glad you would join us here tonight. So we're going to pray and jump into some things here together and share some updates with you. And uh, believe God has something really special for us here tonight. Father, we just thank you tonight for this time together. We come in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Father, as Pastor said, that we do have great leaders 
And amongst those great leaders, we have a great bond of fellowship and friendship together. So we thank you for that bond of unity that we have in our community, Father. We pray this evening, Holy Spirit, that you would be the unseen but the dearly invited guest into every home and into every life. We pray your anointing upon all that we do here tonight, that through the Word of God, hearts would be encouraged, strengthened, and uh, find fresh hope and peace in the promise of your Word being fulfilled in their lives. So, Father, we commit this time to you. We trust you, Holy Spirit, to lead and guide us in all that we do. In Jesus' name, and everybody here and everybody there said, Amen. Amen. Praise Amen. the Lord. Praise God. Um, well, just a little bit of an update as we shared with our church uh, the last couple of weeks that uh, our faith community has come together to draft a letter to the governor asking us to be uh, our churches and, and uh, different um, parts of the county to be brought into stage two. Yep. And uh, so why don't you give us a little update on where that is? And well, uh, so we've had about um, almost 100 of our uh, El Dorado County faith community that have come together. We had a Zoom meeting. And we d talked with Dr. Nancy Williams, who is our um, health uh, director of health. Uh, she's our officer, actually, for our county and several of other of our leaders, staff leaders. And so after that meeting, they encouraged us to, to, to put a team together to formulate a letter. They are 100% behind mm -hmm. churches being in uh, stage two. Right. We haven't had the, with our population density, we're not, we haven't been as at risk as mm -hmm. other municipalities, especially some of our urban centers like sure. LA and the Bay Area. And uh, we haven't had the COVID uh, uh, outbreak here mm -hmm. to the degree that other places have had. And quite honestly, our people have done a great job, right? Absolutely. In our community, uh, doing everything that they've been tasked to do. So. Um, Don, you've been a part of a team that um, David Cook has uh, been the point person for, mm -hmm. and we've just had a letter that's written. It's just gone out this afternoon to the pastors. The pa it's going to go to the governor, petitioning the governor, saying, hey, we're ready as churches uh, as to be a part of stage two. We're essential. Uh, and, you know, schools like preschools are already a part of stage two, right. so it only makes sense right. that we would be... Um, a part of that. And so uh, just today, I was telling you as we were going live, uh, the Attorney General has sent a letter to Governor Newsom saying, hey, listen, uh, you know, you really need to, to, to let the churches uh, worship mm -hmm. again that, that, that are in safe zones, yeah. safe areas. So the timing of the, our letter is just in the spirit of, hey, we want to, we want to be in sync with our leaders, mm -hmm. and we want to be in sync as a faith community with one mm -hmm. another, and um, we are believing that uh, it'll go off to our governor and that he has had a track record of considering these things, especially mm -hmm. with the endorsement of our county leadership, mm -hmm. that we should be able to be approved to He's move ahead. He's under a lot of pressure right now. In a he lot is. Of ways, and he might even, I know I heard you on your call on Tuesday yesterday, you right. did a call talking about that. I have a feeling it might move a little faster. I think it, something might even be done even before we get to our, exactly. our letter through or that, but getting it in and having... The thing that I was so encouraged by is the fact that we had so many of our churches come together in agreement to work on something. It's usually hard to get us to agree on anything. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, but to have everybody have a cohesiveness there to come together for this project is awesome. So yeah, and to be at the same that. heartbeat. And I think, Don, you know, all of us, kind of have the same um, conviction. We want, we want to be safe for our people. Yeah. 
So there's no leaders going, hey, we, don't, we, want, we, we, want, we want to practice safe practices. Mm -hmm. In the same token, we want to be in sync. And, and you know this, Don. You, you, anytime any, you've been doing ministry as long as you and I have, we've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, during this pandemic, we've seen all of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the world oftentimes, uh, people look at the church and they go, golly, really? Do you want and, and I got to say that we have leaders here who are very, they operate with character and class. Mm -hmm. And they all want to, all of us want to be in sync with one another to say, let's be unified and let's move ahead in a way that um, says that uh, we want to do this in the best interests of our community. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've just been deeply moved by yeah. that. I'm always curious when they talk about opening up preschools. How do you get preschoolers to social distance? <laughs> that's, that's been a question that all of us have asked, right? <laughs> Two and three. Hey, guys, six feet apart. Six. I mean, it just isn't going to happen. Okay? <laughs> no. so, uh, and that's kind of what we're talking about on things that we would do, one of the things we're doing moving forward. We did have a Mother's Day service, and so we've been talking about what are the steps, how do we take moving forward and doing all that. But we did, we, we're not going to do, when we do ch decide to open up, we're not going to do children's ministries at the beginning. Because it's very, very hard to have kids social distance. You don't have the space for there in your classroom right. to do that, to work with that. And then for our teachers, until all of our teachers and everybody feels good, for parents to release their children into a classroom, for teachers to be there working with children and stuff. So it has a whole other dynamic, uh, dynamic other than just having uh, people gather together in family units and together in right. sanctuaries and spacing out and doing what we can do. We can live stream into our fellowship hall over there and youth hall and that so we could do two site locations i heard you talking about doing a little bit of that so there's ways our our campus isn't set up to do like drive-in church because everybody's all over the place but we can stream our service across the way so people could watch a live stream over there and be in live right. in here so we could add more people in a service probably without actually having to have two services and stuff right so we had 80 people in the sanctuary here on Mother's Day. We had plenty of spacing and stuff, and so everybody was comfortable. So it's a doable thing. That's the whole thing. Absolutely. It's doable. Everybody's safe. And it brings you back that everybody is mature enough and old enough to be able to make their decisions for themselves. Right. And uh, on your health, your safety, we do that all the time. If there's something going on in just normal flu season, we decide how we're going to protect ourselves, care for ourselves, watch our personal hygiene. So just the plain common sense of doing life intelligently right, is right. really what we just need to be allowed to do, praise God. Well, let's take this to another level tonight in this area. And I sent a couple of questions, and we've been doing a men's Bible study on Monday nights for a long time, and we started it back up since uh, uh, things are kind of loosening up. We do on Monday nights. I have about a dozen guys that come together and, and uh, on Monday nights just on a men's discipleship class. So I went back through and I heard you on your last Zoom and you kind of ended talking about discipleship and I think you had three, you had three things about discipleship. What was it you said about? Yeah, we, in order to do discipleship well, we need to rethink it in terms of um, having an intentional leader, mm -hmm. a relational context, mm -hmm. and a reproducible process. Yeah. And so in everything that... Uh, uh, in terms of what we're going to do in the season of head as, uh, ahead as it does uh, with discipleship, that's what our team is going, okay, we're going to land on those three things, and we're going to think through very, very tactically and strategically. Um, those are going to be the three questions that are going to drive us in everything that we do mm -hmm. uh, moving forward. But I think, Don, that th this has been a, a great reset that the Lord's going to use for the church, because I know for myself... 
I've been reflecting and I have tabled this with our um, ministry staff team, our servant leadership team, um, asking the question, because, you know, we've all just become startups. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, it doesn't matter how long your church has been around, every organization has just become a startup. Mm-hmm. Because this reset has got us to thinking differently, like you would as a church planner would yeah. when you first get started. First service. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And so we're all thinking like startups. And because we're thinking like startups, we're also asking the question, what are the things that we don't want to do again? Right. What are the things we want to create? Mm-hmm. And what are, we, what are the things that um, we really want to do differently mm-hmm. in, in this next season? Right. And so when it comes to discipleship, um, and, I, and I'm saying, I'm kind of telling on myself, I have been a person who's always been committed to discipleship. But I would say that the Lord has said, you know, Al, um, it's time to reinvestigate what, what that means and what, why it's on my heart that you do this. Because uh, so long the church has become and I'm going to say the big C, and I'm not out trying to indict anybody other than I'm talking about me. Uh, you know, what, how do we do Sunday services well? How do we do our big events well? Right. And um, quite frankly, I don't want to do that anymore. Right. I want to talk about in terms of how many lives we're impacting. Right. How many people's lives are we saying that I'm going to give my life away to? Right. And I've always told my, the staff team that I serve with that you're not my employees, you're disciples. Right. And if I'm not serving you in that capacity, I'm failing what the purpose of Christ is. Because if you think of HR, I always say this, that um, you could take the California state eight human resource laws and you can see what Jesus says and Jesus wins. Mm-hmm. Because the, his ethic and his mandate on how we behave with one another is far greater than what the state of California or the federal government can ever mandate. Right. And, um, and so we're thinking very, very specifically what's it going to look like for us in this next season good um my area in there is is on uh, when it comes to discipleship and thinking about really what a disciple is uh and even for the church the church has been satisfied making converts but not disciples i agree and uh so if we can count numbers we had so many people say yes to the lord but we were never called just to make converts but to make disciples Right. And a disciple is defined by someone who follows a master or teacher. Right. And the end goal of discipleship is that you become like the one you're following. Right. And so if I'm truly discipling somebody, then there ought to be something in me that they should want to follow or by following me that would actually make them a better believer or a Christian. And so how to do that. So part of what I'm looking at, we're hearing this whole thing, and I believe there's been a lot of what I would call the one thing I see going on in this whole uh, environment of this situation is what I'm calling a social engineering reconstruct. It's looking to see how much can we reconstruct our society, our culture, uh, with some social engineering by new normal. How much is, so all the things that even they're putting in place, how can we use those? And there's an, uh, there, there, there's an underlying, a little bit of an agenda behind that. So I think there's going to come, in just the way I look at it, there's going to come a necessity for the church to decide what's going to be my standard in the new normal when it comes to be a disciple, to come to be a no. follower of Christ. How much am I going to confirm? So I, I sent you some notes. I gave a couple of yeah. scriptures. I want to read them here tonight. And so the question is, when you listen to all the conversation and comment, people are having and making surrounding the season we are in 
it kind of comes down to how's the church supposed to leave. So I really think we should leave in a new mode of discipleship. One reason I started working with the men is because Jesus always majored in men. And if we raise up men, then we raise up the home, we raise up the family, we raise up our culture. Because men were created to be leaders. And that's what God's looking for. God has always looked for men that would have a yes in their heart to him and say yes and and be all in for God in their life. And uh, so I believe that's a role that we have as pastors, really, to invest in our men. And when you think about the church, for a long time, men have delegated that. And I said it this last Sunday in my message, that it bothers me when I see the demasculation of manhood in our culture today. Man being made small and being made the dumb guy in the commercials and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so it just, those things drive me up a wall. Yeah, when Homer Simpson becomes the uh, model for what a dad is, that's bad yeah, news. Yeah, or any, <laughs> any of that narky stuff. So, yeah, <laughs> in those areas. Uh, I, I like what Paul says in the Living Bible, and I, I like really what the Likowitz, the way it says it in the message translation of uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The New Living Translation says this, Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So the world is asking us to buy into the new normal, to copy this, to be like us, to, to go in a lockstep with them. The Message Bible says it like this. this is so powerful don't become so well adjusted to your culture yeah that you fit in without even thinking yeah and every time i read that it's so powerful and as i watch all the comments and things that are going on today in secularly and in the church world you're listening i feel that that's happening that people are just fitting in we are so inundated with information right We've never been had more information coming at us than we have in this day and age, and yeah. so how, how's that affecting us in 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 being conformed to this, and yet not losing our identity of who we are in yeah. Christ? Well, no, I, 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 well, let me back up a little bit. I agree with everything that you're saying, and I would I would frame it this way. Um, you and I, because we come from very common traditions. Um, I look at Acts chapter 2, and the whole New Testament gets kicked off on this event that happens on the day of Pentecost, right. and we would miss it. We, we, and, 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 and we miss it on a variety of ways because oftentimes historically where the church has gone to is um, spirit empowerment is an experience, not a lifestyle, because mm-hmm. we land on the experience and not the lifestyle. And we don't see where that transformation corporately was um, that Jesus was setting up a moment that was going to kick off the kingdom uh, in, in such a way. He, he, here he is. He's having, uh, leading up to the cross. He's talking about discipleship in terms of, hey, if anybody's going to be a follower of me, they need to deny themselves. They need to pick up their cross. And then they follow me. Right. And, 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 and we overlook those verses because here's the power word that, that, that we don't want to deal with, Don. And, and it's the reason why the church needs to be counterculture, not a subculture right. of the culture around it, is this. It's authority. 
And we don't like that word because we live in a culture that has demonized authority. And you and I have lived through some movements within the church that took authority. And yes, some of it became quite abusive. There was an earlier in the 70s and 80s, a discipleship movement that yeah. just got out of line. Right. And uh, we witnessed those things. So what we did is we wanted to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But the authority I'm speaking of is who's going to be Lord in your life? That's, yeah. where, that's what Jesus was setting up for the disciples. Once you get the lordship question dealt with, then we can deal with the lifestyle yeah. question. Right. But what we tend to do is we tend to get lifestyle before lordship. Mm -hmm. and, and that doesn't work. Right. And, so, and so who's going to have authority in your life? And Jesus seems to indicate pretty clearly, if you're going to be a follower of me, I've got to be that authority in your life. Mm -hmm. So as Americans, we struggle with that. We have a fierce independence. Mm -hmm. We take our political system of democracy and think, well, that's how the kingdom functions. Jesus, you're just part of the legislature, mm -hmm. and I can pick and choose whatever makes me feel good, and I'll follow you where I need to follow you, and I won't follow you where I need to follow you. And, and, the, and that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, listen, there are certain non-negotiables. Absolutely. And those non-negotiables are you got to surrender your life to me. Now, when I say that, invariably does that begin at the front door of the church i don't think so i think everyone can come but man and and, and i always say it this way don jesus loves you right where you're at he just doesn't expect you to stay that way right because when you when you start growing in him and you see his lordship in your life now i got to deny myself mm -hmm. And when I begin to deny myself, there's some things in Al Soto that have been some honorary stuff, right. bro. There's stuff that didn't want to die. You know, there's an old statement about, I had a hash in my life, a great leader, Casey Treat. He'd say this. He said, because discipleship is mentorship. Yeah. And he used to say this. You know, your friends like you the way you are. <laughs> but a mentor cares too much about you to leave you the way you are. That's right. And so that's where ministry has to be is that we care enough about the people, not just to be their friends, but to be spiritual mentors to help them to become the best that they can be in the person they're called to be in Christ, to live to that fulfillment in their life. Exactly. And what you said where Jesus started, you know, he created a moment, but that moment created a movement that, like you said, was counterculture. Right. And that's where in Acts 17, it, it says that those who have turned the world upside down have also come here. And that's what happened with the church. And I believe that's an awakening that's coming back to us as a result of this new normal. I think for the church, the new normal is not going to be defined by um, what the world is telling it, but it's going to be a new normal where we no longer take certain spiritual things for granted. Right. We were challenging the fact that, hey, church is always going to be there. I can go once a month or I can go whenever I yeah. want. I can just show up. And, and we got very casual and very... Uh, if you would, just spiritually lazy and really kind of spoiled, thinking these things are always going to be there, always going to be available. And we became really involved in a consumer mentality yes. when it comes to church instead a sold-out, committed mentality that this is where I'm supposed to live my life. Yeah. We go back far enough where we remember that church was when, you know, you were there every time the doors were open. So you had Sunday morning, Sunday night. You had prayer service. You had pre-prayer. You had Wednesday night service. You had, you know, all the different programs that went on. And life was built. Life flowed out from church. We didn't try to add church to our life or our relationship to God 
to our life. We lived our life out from our mm -hmm. relationship with God. And I'm really believing for a reawakening of that in the church, that the church is coming back to a fresh zeal right. and a fire for God and a hunger for God. And I hear a lot of different preachers. It'll never be the same, never be the same. I don't want it to be the same. No. I want it to be more on fire. That I'm believing for a greater fire, a greater passion, a greater zeal for the things of God, a greater hunger in God's heart. To, to hear people, that when I start hearing people, I want to get back, I want to get back. It's been so long yeah. since you were, man, I miss church, I miss you to people. So it's just this thing. So I think there's going to be a momentum and a surge. And when it comes to discipleship, in that area, and you brought it up on lordship, and I put it in a few of those notes, and we talked about it last night. If you ask most Christians who Jesus is in their life, what would they say? Uh, it, it'd be probably all over the gambit. He's my savior. That'd be the first part. Primarily. He saved me, primarily. How, how many Christians say, he's my Lord? Not often. Because lordship goes back to that point of authority that you're yeah, talking about. Lordship is a place of authority. And in Luke, Jesus said, Luke 6, uh, 46, I believe is where he said, Why do you call me Lord, but yeah. don't do what I say? And so lordship is a position of ownership, a position of authority in that area of our life that has a right to direct our life. Most of what we do when we think about serving God is we make our own plans design our own course for our life and then we ask God to bless that we pray and ask God God this is what I want to do would you bless this these are my plan this is my purpose right. but that's not what lordship is yep you know pastor Don it, it is fascinating to me when you look at the New Testament that there's not one place in the New Testament that says uh, pastors leaders spend your efforts raising a fist at Caesar mm -hmm. and what's amazing to me Romans 13, which talks about praying for our leaders. Mm -hmm. um, you have the worst, most demonic emperor in the Roman Empire at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, you have Nero and Domitian, the, mm -hmm. the twin evils that are just mm -hmm. doing. And yet, and, and where I'm going with this is I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a voice within our political system. But what I'm saying is discipleship is not about our politics verse it's not about what i seem to have a preference for matter of fact denying myself and taking up my cross seems to indicate just like paul just like peter that my preferences are going to die mm -hmm. they're going to die at the foot of the cross mm -hmm. so that i can do one thing really well as a disciple obeying the commandments of jesus and it's the one thing that I think pastors and churches need to get back to. What does it mean to love well? Mm -hmm. But that seems too simple, Al. It's got to be more complex than that. You know, could, but, but Jesus didn't make it complex. And Paul certainly, with all, here's a man who is brilliant theologically. Out of all of his theology, what does he tell us? The highest of all the gifts is love. Do that really well, and, and you'll go someplace. So I'm going to take us to a verse, if I can, just for one minute, because I think it sets the course of what the of, of going through the pandemic and as leaders, at least I've certainly been thinking of. Paul's talking to the church in Corinth, and it's chapter 4. And, you know, Corinth is just... And, and, and it's funny, because when I hear people go... It's the San Francisco. It, it's the San Francisco of the day. <laughs> but not only that, you know, it's so funny... If we could just be like the early church, well, which one? Yeah. They were a mess. Yeah. 
Each church was in crisis. Paul's letters were, were, he was a crisis theologian dealing with crises. But I love this, this, this portion of scripture. Paul's been correcting them. He's been trying to tell them, don't get around personalities. Don't rally, just rally around who Christ is. And he says, but you know what, guys? You've had many teachers of the faith, but you haven't had many fathers. I've been your father. And then he explains. He doesn't do it condescendingly. He doesn't do it paternalistically. Mm -hmm. He doesn't do it to coerce them. Paul does it to simply say, boy, you've got a lot of teaching. You've got a lot of knowledge. But I want you to know something. That's not where I'm going with you. I'm going with you like a father because I'm telling you the tough things that really matters to the heart of Jesus here. That, you know what, don't get caught up on all this party politics within the church. Right. And, and get yeah, around I'm Jesus. I'm of this, I'm of that. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I'm, I'm sensing that for me, and I don't say this with any paternalism or any coercion, but when I think of the great ministry staff team that I get to serve with, how can I be like Paul with having that heart that says, I just want to exchange my life and what Jesus, not, I don't want to give them out. I want to point them to Jesus, and I want more Jesus in them. But the principles I've learned along the way that can be exchanged in my life, how can I serve my team really well mm-hmm. and serve them in a way that, that um, in my relationships with them, they would never go, Al was never there for me. Mm-hmm. He was an absentee pastor. Mm-hmm. And I feel like uh, and that's going to probably bring a little bit of emotions to me because one of the areas I've been convicted in is, Al, you, you've done all these things for me, but don't be absentee from the people that you get to serve with. Right. Make it count with them. That's my Jerusalem, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's what I want to do well. And discipleship is not a curriculum. We've made, we've made discipleship, uh, this, we're going to read this Beth Moore book or this mm-hmm. book or this book, and we're going to make it a curriculum. Discipleship, is two people or a group of people coming together. And this is how I define it. I'm teaching others where I've learned to obey Jesus. Mm-hmm. They're telling me where they're learning to obey Jesus. And it's a two-way transaction. We've become great at taking the principles of the word and turning them into programs. There you go. So we find a principle. Well, how can we turn that into a program? And then we do the program. We complete the program. But we never engraft the principle into our hearts. Exactly. So that we never see the full performance of the word in that area. That's well stated. Yeah. So it gets to be a challenge to us. And and everything you're saying is so good and so true. I'm loving this tonight um, in this area. And so with lordship and following the Lord, and I have a question that I ask myself. If anybody was to follow me, would they be anything like Christ after they followed me? If, yeah. if somebody was to follow me, so I kind of, the way I wrote it out here is uh, uh, if someone became a follower of my life, would they end up being anything like Christ? Yeah. And I think that's what you're saying with your team and your staff and how you want to invest in them. And that's really the heart of a pastor. Paul said it like this, follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah. Follow me as I follow the Lord. And the key is, is that it's not just for us to do that, but um, just on our level. But that's supposed to be the challenge of every Christian. Yeah. Is that we've become content that the body of Christ and even churches and pastors, we've become content with having assemblies of people come together and listen to it, but never ask our question, is anybody out there becoming a disciple? Is anybody there actually mentoring somebody? Yeah. It's right. supposed to be that thing where we're, 
it's like a relay race. We're passing the baton, and somebody else is running the ra- a leg of the race with us. We're not running right. the whole race alone. It's not a one-man race. It's a team race, and we're passing the baton. Somebody else is picking and passing it, but we're raising others up. And if, if we're mentoring our staff, then our staff should be mentoring someone. Somebody else should be mentoring someone and discipling someone. So right. everybody needs to be involved in that. Because the commission wasn't to make converts or just to make people who would come and assemble. It was to raise up men and women who knew Christ, who could lead others into knowing him as well. And so that's a real challenge for us. And it goes back to some of our core values. And we talked about a little bit uh, when we had lunch the other day about the challenge, what the church growth movement did to us and what leadership uh, the movement did. We need that leadership. We need those principles. And those are all good. But kingdom leadership is different than secular leadership. Agreed. Jesus gave an example on kingdom leadership as that we're to be servant leaders. We're to model servanthood leadership. Right. Is that you lead by serving. You don't lead by position. You lead by serving. And I was thinking about in John 13, what did Jesus do? Here's the Lord of glory, the creator of everything. And he's coming down after the meal and he's getting down and he's dressing down to just his his robes there i mean j- j- just his girdle around his waist there and he stripped himself all the way down and he's washing the feet of his disciples and when he's giving done he's discipling them he's mentoring them and he says i've given you an example to follow yeah. you're the leaders that i'm turning this over and this is how you're going to lead and that ties into what you're saying about how you're serving your people and pouring yourself into them and if we can learn to lead like that, and even in our church, and what I find is, is that people, uh, or in, in our whole congregation, is that I said it Sunday morning, when it comes to the prize of what God offers us, the prize of the kingdom, the prize of living for Christ, Paul says, I'm pressing for the prize of the upward call of God. So there's a prize in God. But I believe we're living in a day when the price to pay to receive the prize has never seemed higher. Right. Oh, that, that's too much. It's too much. Yeah. And the price just seems smaller. And so somehow the price has to be, Paul said it like this, the price to me is so great that I could count everything else in my life as done to win the prize of Christ. Yeah. And somewhere there has to be something in a transition here that the prize again gets elevated and the price. Because when we ever say yes to God and we serve him like you're saying there, and we live by that love, the reward is so great. Yep. yep. That, that the, the harvest that comes behind that, the reward of living with that kind of yes in our life for God yeah. is so great. It's our heads, our hearts, our hands. It's our total being. I think what we've done is we've done what the Pharisees have done in the past, not because we wanted to consciously do this, but it's, I call it hardening of the categories. You know, um, the Pharisees had everything in a category. And Jesus came in and said, I, if you're going to live for me and at the, uh, the rhythm of the heartbeat of the Father, you have to have a holistic, integrated life. Uh, Meaning your whole life is 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 under my authority and being led by me. And and I think what you know when we talk about head, heart, and hands, we gotta go back to the Bible and 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 say, you know, it's not just taking a doctrine 
and having someone understand what salvation is. Um, it's being able to allow the Holy Spirit to, 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 what does that mean and how do I live it? And how does it move me emotionally? I'll give you an example of this, Don. I would say 10 years ago, and I've been preaching for years, teaching in, in, in a Bible college setting, mm -hmm. and propitiation finally made sense to me. <laughs> I'm sitting reading John in his He's words. He's being able to say it. Yeah, well, yeah, it sounds like a hair <laughs> disorder, right? But, 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 but I'm sitting here, and, 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 I, and it strikes me. Here is John talking about, and what propitiation means is that God's wrath was appeased mm -hmm. at the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. In all the pantheon of gods and all the other religions that believed in many gods, here's John saying, propitiation only happened once. All these other gods, they wanted you to, they, they, they act like human beings like us. They're angry, they're mean, they want to zap humanity. Mm -hmm. But, but the one true God surrenders himself, sacrifices himself, dies on the cross once and for all so that his wrath is appeased, something you and I couldn't do. Mm -hmm. And for the first time in my life, I remember sitting there uh, with my Bible and I journaled this. I said, how can I tell the Lord I'm not worthy when he found it worthy enough for me to, 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 to create the act of propitiation. At that moment, propitiation became personal to me. Right. And the Holy Spirit got it to work in my life. And I remember talking to a pastor friend of mine, and I think we had a little prayer meeting, and I just wept, mm -hmm. saying, God, forgive me for ever saying that you made me a piece of junk. Right. Because this is what you did for me. Mm -hmm. So the Holy Spirit has to come in, and we have to allow him to come in, to make real those things that he is trying to God-breathe into our lives mm -hmm. so that we could become transformed. Chad Walsh said this in his book, Early Christians in the 21st Century. He said that what we've done today is we've given believers a mild dose of Christianity. Mm -hmm. We vaccinated them with a mild dose as to protect them from the real thing. Right. It's good. You know, and, and, and I, I want, if you want the real thing, it hurts. Yeah. Because you got to confront the cross. Well, it's humbling because we actually know who we are. Yeah. And the, the, the reason we do that is because we're aware. Nobody needs to tell us our sins. We're aware of our faults and our failures. We, we, we all know our own hearts and we all know our own thoughts. We carry that. We all have a conscience inside. So we know that. But if you think about that, even like you say in propitiation, if I say, well, I'm just an old worm, I don't want a sinner, I'm all this. That's like saying, well, God went to a yard sale and paid a million dollars for a broken bike. So, there you, go. you know, they did, he, he was just buying junk. No, the, he, he redeemed what the true value of who we are. He knows our true value. And the price, the price that he paid, we're, we're worth that price. Right. And to see that and to really know our value and our position and our worth to God. Why would God come into the world through his son? Why would he pay such a price for us? Because he knows our true value. Absolutely. And our true value declares that we are worth that sacrificial propitiatory price of his son to redeem us back to our place of original value. 
Right. So God's a God of restoration. That's what's so amazing when you watch these restoration shows and they restore old vehicles or antiques and they bring them back to their original value. And what happens now, right. they are far more valuable than they were when they were originally made. Absolutely. And that's what God has done for us in Christ. And so to carry that, that's so awesome. But the way he did that, because you talked about love and that fulfilling aspect of love and being able to love like that, God so loved us that he gave of himself. Right. And everything Jesus did was that, that the modeling and the demonstration of that, that love. And when Christians really fall in love with God, it's no longer about me having my needs met. God did nothing for himself in what he did for us. He did everything in giving himself to us. Right. And by giving himself to us and giving himself for us, he receives back. Right, right. So, and if we ever get that as Christians and in our walk as becoming disciples, that by giving ourselves to Christ and giving ourselves in love to others and loving out of that heart of God, what we get back, is always more than we would ever receive if we're just trying to get it for ourselves. Ed Cole said it like this. I heard it in the early 80s. And his definition of love was this. Love gives at the expense of self That's because right. love desires to give. That's right. And when I love God, there's something that happens in me. If I'm a follower of him, that's all Jesus did. He just came and he loved. He, he was the manifestation of God's love in the earth. That, and he just loved. And when we love like that, it, it, we don't think about giving ourselves. It's a natural byproduct of love is to give of yourself to others. To sow yourself into others. And you can never sow without receiving a harvest. Absolutely. And, and you know, one of the misnomers that we have got to get rid of within our theological framework, and I hear a lot of people, and really North American believers are the ones that use this word often, is we exercise safety, either safety for ourselves and concern as being the higher priority of God, and then we use safety as it relates to Jesus, and we want a safe Savior. Mm -hmm. And C.S. Lewis said years ago, he said, no, Jesus ain't safe. Mm -mm. Because when he calls you to himself, if safety is, I don't have to risk anything or anything, wrong Savior. Mm -hmm. Because what Jesus is going to take us out of our comfort zones, and he's going to take us to a place where we're going to have to trust him. Mm -hmm. But in trusting him, because we've made, and a friend of mine, Leonard Lee, exposed me to this, and it makes so much sense. We have made the goal of our discipleship maturity. And it's not maturity. The goal of discipleship is fruitfulness. Mm -hmm. Jesus always talks about fruitfulness. You know, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at your fruit. I'm even going to prune you in seasons, mm -hmm. which are going to be painful so that you can bear more fruit. And so Jesus calls us into a relationship where we trust him. We're going to have seasons of pruning. And if I just take a moment, Don, I'm going to make it real personal from my own life. Go for it. Um, I've uh, got 38 years of sobriety. I, uh, alcoholic, drunk. And even after I was married and had known Jesus, didn't stop drinking. 1984, I, I, I stopped drinking through a, a, an encounter with the God, and I said, I surrender. And I've been on a journey uh, in that area. Now, I want people to understand this as we're talking this. Because I know there, there, there's recovery, and I believe that. And, I, and I, I go to celebrate recovery. I do things like that for myself, sure. even, even 36 years later. 
But, but here's what I want people to catch. The one mantra is if I keep repeating that I'm something, that's going to keep me from something. So I'm an alcoholic. I'm, yeah. And you know what? I, I had a God encounter one time, and the Lord just said this by his spirit. He just said, Al, so that's not what's going to keep you sober. Right. I'm your father, and I love you so much that it hurts my heart when you drink. Mm-hmm. And the lights went on. And I said, Jesus, I don't want to hurt your heart. Yeah. I don't want to hurt your heart. Yeah, think about us when our kids are going through hard times and stuff. How does our heart feel? And he's our heavenly father. So. But in order to have those, those kind of conversations, Pastor John, we have to have the conscious awareness in our life that Jesus is with us and present every day of our lives. Absolutely. That's what it means to walk in the spirit. It's to consciously be present that he is mm-hmm. present in our lives. Mm-hmm. He's the one who said he'll never leave us or yeah. forsake us. But what we treat it as is somehow... Jesus, you know, you're here over here, but you don't see this. And, and it's, not, it, it's not a fear that makes me fear God objectively. It's a reverence that just says, you're my father. Mm-hmm. Or as Paul says in Romans 8, Abba, Father, mm-hmm. you're my daddy God. Yeah. And I don't want to hurt your heart. Yeah, I want to be uh, Ignatius, the early church father, says it this way. I write this in every one of my books. It's in my Bible. Lord, May I be the best tool in the master's hand. Mm-hmm. If people can begin to think that way as a father, as a mother, as a right. grandfather, as a grandmother, how can I be the best tool in the right. master's hand? Well, there's that statement that says, we're to live for the praise of his glory. Amen. Father, I want to glorify you with my life. And, uh, you know, I, I did a thing a little bit on Sunday morning on, on Jacob in Bethel. said, this is the house of God, and I wasn't aware of it. So we need to be aware of the universal presence of God. Like you said, Jesus is with us always. But then we need that personal walk and that personal relationship with God. And it says of Enoch that Enoch walked with God. And what you're saying is that Hebrews 11.5 says that he had this testimony that he pleased God. Yep. And so to live to be pleasing, but you can only live to be pleasing to God when we have a personal relationship with him. Yeah. When we know him personally. It's hard to please somebody you don't know. Yep. And or even to have the desire to do that when you're not in a personal relationship. But the more the more personally connected you become to someone, the less you want to hurt their heart. Yeah. And the more you want to please them Amen. with your conduct and that. And you made a statement earlier about this on the fruit of discipleship. Yeah. So let me ask you this, because I think this is where we miss it. Because many times we think the fruit of discipleship is personal maturity, and you said it's not maturity in that area and I agree 100% and when it comes to fruit what Jesus is looking for the reason he prunes us this is my conviction the only fruit of the kingdom is people is souls yep. absolutely there's nothing else when Jesus says lay up for yourself treasures in heaven in Matthew 6 what's the treasure of heaven nothing temporal of this earth is valuable in heaven absolutely no, nothing I can obtain here in the natural is of any value in heaven. Think about heaven. Streets of gold, gates of pearl, all this stuff. So what are you going to add? 50 cents to that? We, we can't add any temporal value. The only value of heaven. Who is heaven being built for? What has God created everything for? But for the, those souls that are being redeemed. Right. And so for me to have fruit in my life, there have to be people connected to my life. 
Right. And for a Christian to have a fruitful life, the art of discipleship and what we're trying to do is that they have to produce other believers, other followers. And so if I don't have somebody connected to my life, I'm deceiving myself if I think I'm a fruitful Christian. A fruitful Christian is not just somebody who occupies a space in a pew or in a chair, no matter whether, how we have to be spaced out or whether we can get up next to each other again. It's not about faithful attendance, not about that. Did I bring anybody into the kingdom? I absolutely think you're right. And I think that um, for Bayside, and we've been having this talk with our leaders that a leader just got redefined because we want to be biblical. Leader's not about title. It's not about gifts. A leader is, are they making disciples? Mm -hmm. That's how Jesus categorized it. Are you making disciples? So you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. Mm -hmm. So um, I could teach anything. I could teach theology too, but that's not what's important. Right. That's, that's, that, that, those are good things. Is my life embodying the message of Christ? Do I embody who Jesus is that it's contagious enough that when people are around me, they go, you know what? When I'm around Al, there's certain things that I see that, that I want in my life and right. I'm desiring because that's Jesus. And, um, and it's not about perfection. We're, we're, this side of heaven, no one's going to be perfect. I think sometimes we've gotten confused that... Even at our level, Pastor Don, I think even people going, well, pastoring, you, you guys must walk on water. I'm sorry. I wish I could tell you that only every on aspect of, only on Thursdays. But you know <laughs> what I mean? We're still going to the cross ourselves. Yeah. Al Soto's still dying in areas. There's still things in me that Jesus goes, hey, Al, uh, I, I want to deal with this area of, of your life. So this side of eternity, until I see him face to face, mm -hmm. that's the journey we're on. But, um, but you know, I want to be... I, you know, we teach what we know, we reproduce who we are. So um, I want to love well, affirm often, mm -hmm. and repent every day. Yeah. yeah. Well, look what Paul said. He says, here's a guy that wrote, you know, 14 of the books in the New Testament. So what's he say? He says, you know what? I haven't arrived. Haven't arrived. I don't count myself to have arrived. But let as many of us as are mature or perfect or mature or pressing for maturity, let's just keep going. Yeah. Let's just keep growing. So we live our life in that present progressive tense right. of our salvation. I was saved. I am saved. I'm being, being saved, saved. I shall be saved. Absolutely. So we're, we're in that. We're always in the process. Renewal is a process, not a destination. Right. So we live in the process of renewal. Day. We're daily putting off the old man, putting on the new man. We're daily Amen. renewing our mind. We're always under battle. We're daily resisting temptation. We're daily saying yes to the right things, no to the wrong thing. But what's happened to us in Christianity is that we've dumbed everything down. We've made everything simple. And that's why I say we, we, we keep trying to shrink the price yeah. of saying yes to God instead of making it high. And uh, so, so we devalue uh, really the prize of winning Christ and that it costs everything. And that takes us back to lordship. He asks for our whole life. He says we're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body because your life is not your own. You were bought with a price and your life is not your own. I have this little statement down here because sometimes it comes, we think that uh, as long as we make the decision to take the name of Jesus and call ourselves Christians, that's all it takes. And so it'd be as if Jesus would have said, hey, guys, would you mind identifying yourselves with me in some way? Don't worry. I don't actually care if you do anything. I do or change. Yeah. 
your lifestyle at all. I'm just looking for a few people who say they believe in me and call themselves Christians. Christians, yeah. And so it's kind of that thing, but that isn't what he's looking for. He's looking for people that when he says, hey, will you follow me, who will forsake everything and follow him and live for the reward that's on the other side. And I really believe coming out of this season that there's going to be such a fresh hunger, a fresh appetite. And so when I'm talking about this tonight, I think as pastors, as leaders, instead of trying to figure out how is this going to, because I've heard some like, oh, this is going to change. We're not going to be able to do. I think we ought to be able to do more than we've ever done before in reaching our world with the gospel. And people are going to be ready to take a challenge and take a step and make a commitment to a greater level than they ever have before because the reality is I don't want everyone to take this for granted again I think you're right and I think that uh, God just made things simple in the sense that it's about people and all the complexities of church life that um, that we have um, involved ourselves with has gotten stripped away where we're having Zoom meetings. Would have ever thought that, that Zoom would become a platform of connection, <laughs> um, you know, and uh, all these different things. But, you know, Don, uh, I, there's been another re- re-emerging thing that's been in my heart. And I think as pastors, we need, we have walked away from the theology and the doctrine of the return of Christ mm-hmm. because what has shaped our conversation is all the extremes of voices who have of people who have set dates, who have done some of the foolish things of telling us this is the day that Jesus is coming in and, right. and, and all that. And out of that, we've not wanted to be a part of that, but the blessed hope mm-hmm. is so important to us. Yes, and I is. have been re-engaging with the fact that this is not our stopping. We're sojourners. Mm-hmm. This is not it, folks. My RV and everything else isn't going to become heaven for me. Right. My swimming pool in my backyard, whatever, however we define it, the, the, this is not heaven. Right. Um, we are on a journey, and when we begin to think that way, and we think that there's going to be the consummation of history, and a re-emerging doctrine that's been taking place, Pastor Don, that scares the bejeebers out of me, that's a Hebrew word, I think, mm-hmm. it is. Um, is universalism. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone just goes. Mm-hmm. Jesus just died once and for all, and everyone. But uh, that would be great if it was in the Bible. Right. That's. It, it's not. It was. A, it was. A, it was a heresy that was done with origin was the father of universalism. The early church father says, "Well, wait a second. You, you, you got to look at all the whole of Scripture." And of course, origin was only picking some of the verses that dealt with grace, and he right. threw all the other ones out so he can have a a gospel that 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 fit his theology. Right. But the moment you take away the fact that there is a lostness, mm-hmm. and I'm not here because you and I aren't the ones that have the authority to go, you're lost, you're not. That's not our job. That's, that's the Father's job. That's on Friday. That, that's on Friday <laughs> during golf, right? When I golf, I tell you, you're not going to heaven right now. But, uh, but, 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 but the thing that, 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 that I, I, w- I want to say to this is when you see that there's eternal lostness with mm-hmm. people, I, don't, I, I love people. Mm-hmm. I want them to know the hope that I know. Mm-hmm. And I want them to be fully engaged. It's not right. my job to play pin the tail on your eternity other than to model the message and to make sure that it's clear that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and that the cross affords us redemption. Mm-hmm. 
And, and um, I've been thinking a lot about that. Uh, you, you know, I, all of our charts on the return of Christ have already gone by the by wayside. Dispensationalism has suffered a, a, a great travesty because we had everything and a generation was going to be 40 years. Well, that didn't happen, so we got to rewrite the books. I don't care about all that. All I know is he's returning. He's coming back. He's going to establish and consummate his kingdom. We're living in the now, but the not yet. And that I want to embrace the blessed hope. Well, man always has to fill in the blanks. Yeah. And the actual definition of dispensation is, a, is it, it's a period of time in which God deals with humanity in a specific manner. Mm-hmm. So we've been in the dispensation of grace. And that's where we are. And in that dispensation and in, in all of this, I just did a lesson a few weeks ago on the the in-between place. Mm-hmm. The Bible is a book written in between two eternities. Began an eternity past. It begins an eternity past, and it ends an eternity future, and we are living in between. Right. And in between, God gives us just enough information to keep us focused. When you're talking about all of our charts and everything else, what's the question that disciples ask Jesus? <laughs> when you, when, when's when the are you end of the age? The kingdom? What, <laughs> yeah. what did Jesus say? That's not for you to know. You need to be focused on being my witnesses, being my disciples, and being my witness. So that gets us back to true kingdom purpose. Right. Our purpose right now is to preach a gospel to all creation and to make disciples of all men and bring them into the relationship that God came into the earth through Christ for to reconcile all of humanity to himself that none would perish. And so when we live for that purpose, then we live for the glory of God. The blessed hope was the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he could come at any time for the church and for what we call the rapture, and that in that hope and our gathering together to be with him. And it was given to us in such a way that we would live to be ready. We want a timeline. We want the 40 years. We want to be able to say here, we want to connect it to one of the feasts. We want to do that because then we can live sloppy that's right and we can let up and we don't we don't have to have that edge of our press and our freshness in our relationship with god so when you say preach the word and it takes me to a new testament verse powerful verse for you are living epistles Mm -hmm. that are read by all men that's it so when when you and i are talking this way we're talking about listen we are living epistles yes we are and the fruit is how people read our lives. Mm -hmm. As they engage our lives, not just our words, but our lives. It's always fascinating to me. Peter and the apostles, whether they're preaching in the portico, Mm -hmm. in the marketplace, wherever they were, not one person said, it's the words that carry authority of these men. It's, where do these guys come from? How do they embody such authority? Mm -hmm. They could see within their character that there was a transformation mm-hmm. and a difference because God had done something in them. Mm-hmm. And that's where my heart aches. Mm-hmm. And Pastor Don, I really think that the indictment isn't, or the, the weight of responsibility isn't just on the people who attend our churches. I think God is beginning this with conversations like you and I, pastors and leaders, who are once again reinvestigating. You know what? What's, what's important? Mm-hmm. What's important? And I'll even go this far. And I really appreciate you inviting me here. I've been here four years. And the other day I told my wife this. I said, why did it take so long for me to, to have breakfast like that with Don? And I'm not putting that on you, bro. I'm putting that on me. Mm-hmm. Life gets so busy right. that we're all doing significant ministry that it ought not be that way. Well, 
we like to build kingdoms and we like to build our own kingdoms and instead of building his kingdom and you're and, right around the corner from me yeah yeah and i like you know that's where i like pastor nick around the corner and uh, we just have great guys steve we, we got some amazing we got amazing right leaders here. here we got west side we got bay side we got calvary and that's right here we got four great churches right together four great, great churches men of god and uh, our community is really blessed and i always say it like this and, and i think we've missed it in that because churches and pastors we, we just get too insecure in that and we're afraid that if we cross pollinate too much you know we'll lose our people that like that guy better whatever and doing all that stuff i always look at it like this and i kind of said it i believe churches are like restaurants and so we're pretty spicy here and not everybody likes spicy food and so there has to be some place that is more mild and more even and doing that and so restaurants is where people get to eat according to the flavor and their likes and their yeah absolutely and, and so but it's not a competition and so and there's always room for another restaurant that that's <laughs> and so in deal with that but but there it, it, 40 it, flavors of ice cream at baskin robbins yeah, there's gotta be 40 I love it, <laughs> so anyway but but what we miss is is we've missed out on the bond of unity that we can yeah. have and the strength that we can have and by coming together if pastors would just tear down some of those walls and we would come together and do more of this together it would eliminate people because we know each other so it keeps people it gives more more of a covering and, yeah. it, and it puts more it puts more of an authority covering on the church because we're all working this together and it's not separate it's a cohesiveness and it's a unity together Amen. and, and it, pro it really provides a covering for the people that way so Amen. i appreciate you coming tonight and being well with thank us. you this for having me I'm like, i need to have you on the bunker you, 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 you can tell we're preaching we could talk about anything forever so. <laughs> <laughs> we just keep going on so we just keep triggering off of one thing or another but it really is friends and i want to tell you this and those of you that attend our church and that you know it is that the only thing that matters to god is souls and uh the great thing is, is that what God does when he gives us his life is he promises that when we say yes to him, he'll make sure that every need of our life is taken care of. That we don't have to take thought for what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, where we're going to live, and what's going to happen. He knows we have need of all those things. But if we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these things are added unto us. And so by saying yes to God and having a heart for people, if anything else should be aware, and even in this, one thing about this season when you talk about the blessed hope and the return of the Lord is that this really makes it a reality that Bible prophecy is the truth. Yeah, Because we're absolutely. seeing that th this isn't an America thing. This became a global event. Then at one time, the whole world globally, things of a global impact, global reconstruction, global things that are happening on a level that is biblical in proportion right and it make it's making the bible more true than it ever was before and people say oh you know that's all happened that's past the kingdom now guys all this stuff but no the bible is true and yep. these are things that just line things up and this is an area where in fact uh uh i heard somebody say it was that oh was that you today that oh no 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 it was uh i, I heard our superintendent say it brett that Bibles are selling faster than almost anything in bookstores and different yes. places where they get into. But people are buying. People are going back to the Word, getting back into Scripture, and so uh, we're just thankful that you would tune in tonight and be with us. Praise the Lord! So it's been great having Pastor Al with us, and uh, let's just grab hands here together. We're gonna pray together. Come on.
Hallelujah. You pray for us. I pray coming in, okay. I'll let you take us out. Well, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you are the head of the church. And in saying yes, that, Father. we just pray over El Dorado County, all of our churches, all of our pastors, all of our yes, leaders. Father, we pray them. that you would just cover them, pour out your spirit yes, upon Father. every congregation, every individual. And Lord, I pray in the season ahead Amen. that the church, under the function of your authority, under your spirit, that we will see the very temperature, climate, yes, and atmosphere Father. of El Dorado yeah. County become transformed for yes. you. Hallelujah. Lord, it is our desire to see your name lifted yes, high. Yes. Not the name of Bayside, not the name of our churches, the na your name. Yes, because, Father. Lord, at the end of the day, you are the one that we desire to exalt. Yes. And, Lord, I pray that for our business leaders that you yes, give provision. Father. For all those individuals that are struggling in this season, I pray that you meet their needs. And that, Lord, um, there would be a conduit of your grace just being poured out on people's lives, over marriages, over families, over children, over our schools, over our principals, over every teacher. Yes, that, yeah. Lord, your peace Cover would them, just Father. reign supreme. Cover and we just pray this in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. What a blessing. Amen. God bless you guys. God we bless love you. you. Tune into your church Sunday morning. Reach out. Touch somebody's life. Be a blessing to somebody. Sow a seed into somebody else's life. Love them. Care for them. Nurture them. Help them. Find some way to show the love of God to somebody. Be a disciple maker. We love you. God bless you. We'll see you all on Sunday. Bye.